Greetings and welcome to another episode of the ABLA Access podcast. I'm Aaron Burstein. I'm a partner in Kelly Dry's Washington, D.C. office in the Privacy and Advertising Law Group. I'm joined today by my partner, Elisa Hutnick, and we're going to be talking about some of the ongoing developments in state privacy law. There's a lot to talk about, so we're going to dive right in. And I think we wanted to start talking about a little bit of the history and how we got here with a proliferation of state laws, uh, two of which have been enacted, of course, in California and Virginia. But that state level picture fits in with some history at the federal level, a history of inaction or of federal privacy legislation not being passed. So I think that's a good place for us to begin and put things into context. And I wondered, Elisa, if you might give us a, a brief historical sketch here and talk a little bit about when efforts to pass federal privacy legislation began, uh, what kinds of obstacles they've run into, and how that figures into the state-level picture that we're seeing today. Sure. Uh so I'm trying to think of that question on how, how long has this been going on? I think it's been over a decade um, where we've seen different versions, right, of this, um, what would be kind of a common set of, of consumer privacy rights. And over the years, we've certainly seen the federal bills starting to get closer together in terms of a common set of rights, right? So there's like those core consumer rights to access personal information, right to request deletion, right to port one's personal information under certain circumstances. Um, those, those are looking very similar and there's by, seems to be bipartisan agreement on those on company core obligations, right? Accountability, clearly disclosing what your data practices are and then setting up certain controls for the consumer to, to choose from on how information is shared um, or under these state laws, how information is sold. In the federal bills, though, that really was not so controversial where things always seem to break down. We're on two issues. One, the broad preemption of all state laws and two, whether there's a private right of action and what it looks like. And on the preemption, that's something that you had the Democrats really strongly say, no, that you need to have a private right of action. You need to be able to have states um, be able to build on top of the federal standard that it's a floor. Um, whereas on the Republican side, the whole point of a federal bill was to create a national standard. And that while enforcement should be with the regulators, state attorneys general and the Federal Trade Commission, for example, that there should not be um, an ability, a pathway for there to be class actions and, and private suits. And so because of that, everything broke down. Um, we just couldn't get agreement. And I do wonder, that was then and this is now, right? We're, we're at a point where we now have state, at least two states and and we may well have many more in that conflict, you know, that's going to likely come up. Does that, is that enough to get us over the hurdle to get some type of compromise on those two federal sticking points? Um, or is, you know, maybe we get rid of some of the filibuster aspect and it, on, on other issues and that has spillover effects onto the federal bill. But 
kind of in my two-minute version, that, that's the history here on, on why we don't have a federal bill on privacy. I, I will show my age a little bit here and say that, you know, I think we could turn the clock back even even further than a decade and, you know, look back to the the late 90s, um, early 2000s, which at which point the type of legislation we were seeing kicked around at the federal level was uh, was different and was quite a bit more uh, lightweight in terms of the obligations that that it would impose. Um, you know, there was a lot of discussion about FIPS light of just notice, choice, data security, maybe some access. And that sort of was was the framework that federal legislation initially was was built around. Um, I think it's worth keeping that in mind because the um, the terms of the debate at that time were largely framed around ideas of of harm um, harm to consumers and and the benefits uh, of privacy legislation versus the benefits of allowing you know more permissive data use and I think that's still with us but the the international picture and now the state level picture has shifted dramatically so that those are very real factors that um, that federal legislators need to take into account and, and so that has sort of in my mind moved the debate somewhat off those conceptual starting points and and, and that I think has been part of what has led to, to this convergence that you mentioned about the, the basic obligations and individual rights that are being seriously debated as part of federal privacy legislation. Yeah, and you just think about from history to now, how commerce has changed, right? We're not talking about the standard brick and mortar anymore that I think things really were focused on back then. But you think about kind of the technology, tech platforms, mobile apps, smart devices, smart homes, the, the vast amounts of data and the personalization that is happening. Um, it, there's just so much more to think about when we're talking about what is, what's a comprehensive privacy program that a, a FIPS light, a fair information uh, privacy principles approach doesn't, doesn't work uh, under today's uh, commerce structure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, turning briefly to activity at the federal level, which maybe is being uh, fueled a little bit by a lot of state efforts that are still ongoing to um, possibly uh, enact more uh, legislation. Um, have you taken a look at some of the drafts or, or bills that have been introduced and have any sense of whether they might start moving or, or you know, uh, what the overall climate is in terms of uh, any forward movement on federal privacy legislation? Yeah, I think we're still early. I would, I would expect that some of the bills that we've looked at historically are probably going to reemerge, right? Um, I, I noticed like just this month, Senator Schatz had introduced a couple of bills um, I'm going to watch those, but I am, I just envision that we're going to see Senator Cantwell um, at some point. We're going to see that COPRA bill uh, that was drafted the last time around and um, that that probably is going to be a vehicle 
um, in, in a matter of what aspects of that might be open to compromise. I mean, she's got the power really on whether to, to move it forward or not. So I, I would imagine seeing that. Um, I've seen a little bit of activity on more specific types of, of privacy-related bills, right? So um, children's information, certainly a whole lot of COVID-related privacy bills, some education-related privacy bills, uh, contact tracing, so that's part of the COVID, so more of the surgical strike components. But I, my sense is they're trying to get through infrastructure, COVID, all of that before they're ready to focus on privacy. We're definitely seeing the activity on the states. And so I think it's it's just a matter of time before attention really turns to, to, to privacy and we start seeing some real activity on the federal bills. Um, what, Aaron, what are, what are some of the things that you have seen on the le legislative level, both historically on what you might see, imagine would reemerge and, and recent activity? I, I think what I'm seeing pretty much lines up with your observations. I think that one um, thing that I've noticed in watching privacy bills over uh, over the years is that it, it's hard to come up with something new, and, and usually you want to build on what's been there before, both for for the sake of uh, consistency and and to avoid having to deal with, um, you know, un unexpected difficulties that could emerge from having really brand new legislative texts. So I think that, uh, yeah, I would expect that proposals from the past that, that we've seen will come back um, in, in highly similar forms and, and be the starting points. Um, I think in terms of, of timing, I, I absolutely agree that Congress has a lot on its plate in the near term and, and the medium term, at least. Um, there's there's certainly a lot more than privacy legislation to deal with, um, as well as uh, uh, intersecting technology issues um, having to do with competition, Section 230, um, you know, agency appointments and confirmations. I think those are all sort of part of the same um, bucket of issues that that are working their way through Congress at the moment, and um, you know s some of them would be easier to address on their own, um, and you know would make sense to prioritize and and uh, deal with first. But you know I think that that only adds to the overall um, uh, swirl of of issues that are you know maybe making it difficult for privacy legislation on its own to get a lot of focused attention at this point. That's a good point though, in terms of the other kinds of legislation, it just reminded me, you know, antitrust legislation, which may well come first because that's right now the, the, the focus. And yet some of those bills really do talk about interoperability, portability um, of data of and, and consumer data. And so thinking about how those requirements are going to then align with the types of privacy restrictions and settings um, that we're seeing on the privacy side. And it sure would be a shame if those weren't addressed really with both in mind at the same time so that we, we have a, a intentional approach on that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The, those, those need to be thought about together. So we've got the history of the federal bills. We've got 
The current state laws on the books in terms of California's version one and version two with CPRA, but not um, effective until 2023. We've got Virginia's model, which is more principles-based, um, not effective until 2023. What are your thoughts on a, those bills kind of at the big picture level, and then what you see coming around the bend? Yeah, that's it's a, it's a great question. I, I mean, I think there are two ways to look at what we have now in terms of California's law and Virginia's law. Thinking about it from a kind of compliance standpoint, I think we're tending to look at California under CPRA as, as the more prescriptive, more um, definitive and in most cases the stricter of the two models and you know that's sort of the first place to turn to figure out how are we going to meet our obligations once uh, um, everything comes into full, full force in 2023 um, but in terms of legislative models or legislative concepts I think they are somewhat different and they seem to be providing models that a bunch of other states are building on um, with, with their own proposals. And, and so I think, you know, we see in Florida, for example, a bill that looks very similar to CPRA. Um, you know, it lacks some of the regulatory apparatus that CPRA is bringing along. And we can maybe talk about that later in the discussion. But, you know, that, that template is, um, is, serving others while Virginia, you know, is, is clearly having an, uh, an effect in other places like Colorado. I think there was clearly some, um, influence from the Washington privacy act on Virginia. So, you know, I see sort of two main buckets, um, more principles based under the Virginia model, um, more detailed and prescriptive, um, and focusing on, specific activities um, the way California does with, with cross-context um, behavioral advertising and, and those types of issues. So I don't know, we start to sound a little bit like the, um, you know, the constitutional convention with two main uh, uh, lines of thought, but um, you know, maybe that's the sort of moment that we're finding ourselves in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's frustrating because I think from a from a compliance standpoint, while principles based allow you to find and really fit the the most kind of what works for that company, but still complies with the law, uh, the California CPRA approach that is is very prescriptive and really lines out thou shall cover X Y Z and thou shall do these things because that ends up being the stricter standard in large part for a national framework, right? Companies, I think, have that decision to make. Do I have a one standard so I can have an approach that, that I can train everyone to, or do I create these differing state-by-state -state approaches in some on some of these points? And it's that's a lot of thought, a lot of time, a lot of resources to really figure that out at the same time that things aren't staying still. We have even with you know future regulations under California, we have these other state bills that might be inspired by both models, and yet come up with a third model. We just don't have that certainty, and so it's it's a tough place to be when we're trying to predict predict the future and design compliance around that moving target. 
Yeah, uh, de definitely. I mean, are, are you seeing any signs of a, a third model or any curveballs that might be developing at the state level, um, you know, in terms of um, consent or... Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the is yes. Um, so, you know, you mentioned Florida, but well, Florida has two different kind of bills, um, at least two different kind of bills floating around. The, the curveball that's for both of them is the effective date is 2022. So that really moves up by a year what a compliance program looks like. Um, it has private rights of action and that differs depending on the bill. And so that changes the risk calculus, I think, on how companies design their program and who really they're going to, which state they're going to prioritize how they structure it. But then you have things like red states, Oklahoma, for example, that has an, uh, an express opt-in to share personal information. You've got Colorado that, while it's principles-based, it does talk about restrictions on how a company uses its own data. So first-party data restrictions as opposed to restrictions more on sharing, um, selling personal data outside the company. And so those variations, while it may seem like it's around the edges, that really makes a difference in terms of data strategies, uh, choices that you're gonna, how you disclose these choices, um, all of that really has an impact. So yeah, and, and I don't think that that's it. I, I think that we're seeing different kinds of experimentation along the way with some of the other state bills that are pending. And so while they're inspired and kind of modeled after maybe Virginia and maybe California, a little here, a little there, they're certainly kind of coming up with their own version, own flavor of it. Yeah, I think that just to pick up on a couple of, of points you made, um, certainly differences in how first-party data would be regulated, first-party data uses, um, that has major implications for the competition issues that, that um, you had referred to earlier on. So that's definitely something worth watching and, and tracking at the federal level as well. I'm stuck on that first party data thing, both the, there's the antitrust issues that you have, but thinking about what's the ultimate consumer experience um, when, when we have these types of restrictions, what are, what are we going to see as a result? You know, we've seen the market play out with ideas of, of different types of pro privacy measures, but even there, you know, this is all experimentation. And so there's always um, cause and effect. And I think, for example, we've talked otherwise about the concept of cohorts and coming, are there discriminatory um, components to that, right? When you get lumped into, you're part of this group, so we don't know you personally and won't target, but now suddenly you are only seeing certain kinds of advertising, for example, because you fall into this cohort. And is it possible that we end up with some of the same kind of group profiles that create actually a bad result for consumers. Um, and, and what other, I mean, that's just one example. I just, I, I do have concerns about what are some of the unintended consequences with some of the experimentation. It's a necessary part, right? You're going to have unintended consequences regardless, and you're going to have really good things come out of this, but, but what, what it is, it remains a mystery. Right. And, and, you know, it's, I think that some of those costs and benefits, they're going to be distributed in a lot of different ways between current marketplace participants and um, consumers and advertisers and, and everyone in between. So, um, you know, that, that does um, get into a, um, a bunch of different territory that, you know, isn't necessarily directly um, 
being addressed through state legislation um, that we're seeing, but but is certainly a byproduct of it. And you know, as as much as I think we can appreciate what um, is going on in the marketplace to try to find different ways of offering um, user control and and um, ways of of allowing users to set preferences and so forth. Uh, you're right that some of it is is pretty opaque and it's maybe unclear to consumers what's actually happening. And then it's, you know, these are investments that um, are pretty significant within businesses to, to, you know, roll out these different systems and different ways of providing control. So I think that's something that, that I would hope legislators appreciate and, and recognize that um, responses to proposals, um, let alone actual laws that gets passed, that get passed are, um, that, that's a, a um, it, it triggers a significant amount of investment. Yeah, I, in some ways, you know, this is looking back, but I think it was a lost opportunity because we didn't have federal legislation. I think in the future, if I'm just going to, we'll go back, back and forth on future and past and current, but, but I think there probably will be changes at the Federal Trade Commission level, right? That's our primary enforcer at the federal side on privacy. There probably will be future privacy rules, but that's a long road. And in the meantime, the the horses left the barn, so to speak, on these state laws. And so I think you you get more entrenched on here are specific frameworks. And do we start working from a California model? Because we're not going to undo that, right? The the, that has raised what the floor expectations are. And so for any federal bill, do we start modeling off of some of those now updated common baselines? And then the because those really did not have some of the compromises built into it, um, yeah, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna have to deal and, and maybe we make some changes a few years further down the road. Um, I know I saw in one of the bills, there was the concept of like an eight year, and a re sunset period to, on the preemption aspect and like to rethink, um, you know, is this working? And so that or other ideas like that of acknowledging it's an, it's an experimentation and thinking about how do we make some changes? Because if you look back at like in the past, like Gramm-Leach-Wiley or HIPAA, like it takes, you don't get changes to some of these because, you know, it's a whole gamble on whether you'll ever get compromised again um, in order to, to revisit and modernize some of these, um, some of these statutes that provide these consumer rights and protections. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I think you, you do, you do see some of that coming out in the form of um, debates and maybe some convergence about FTC rulemaking authority and federal legislation and providing, ways short of full legislative amendments to um, sort of provide clarification or change standards um, to take different practices and different technologies into account for that that very real phenomenon that I think we've seen, uh, which is that rewriting the fundamental um, legislative or statutory standards is uh, is pretty hard to um, to pull off. So what do we say, you know, we get questions a lot, I would say more frequently now from our in-house counterparts on how do you make the case for privacy investment to the company, uh, to the board? And 
if you're in the weeds and you're living through this, you see kind of the tsunami that is coming. Um, but if you're not, it, it's, that's just another cost stream. And, and how do you prioritize that? So if, if you were asked that question, um, what would be some of the advice you would give in terms of making your case for investing in privacy? I'd point to a couple of things. Um, one is pretty obvious, I think, and that's the financial risk uh, of uh, fines that could come along under the California and Virginia laws already. And certainly if we saw a um, broader private right of action emerge at the state level, that, that, would, um, that would trigger pretty loud alarms. So I think that when you start facing those types of financial risks, uh, it, it does become an issue of determining what sort of program do we need to have in place um, to manage all of our um, data processing internally in ways that we can, A, be comfortable that we're, we're doing the best we possibly can under some uncertain standards to, to meet our legal requirements, and B, be, uh, be able to provide evidence that we're doing those things and that we've done it, you know, as long as the law has been in effect or, or, you know, really to be able to demonstrate that compliance. Um, so those are, those are models, I think, that help to address that, um, that type of risk. But then, a, you know, a second line of thought is that I think businesses are looking around at what their competitors are doing and um, what, you know, whether they're suppliers or customers of theirs are doing in terms of positioning on privacy as a value that they project to consumers and um, ways that they build trust and also ways that they use data strategically, that those all sort of get rolled into determinations about, you know, what, what is our strategy with privacy policies? Are we going to have one for a bunch of separate services or bring them under one roof? Um, what sorts of, of user controls are we going to provide? And is it worth the investment um, to bring those to consumers and to be able to show them to regulators? And, you know, uh, those, those all sort of get tied into um, business strategy and uh, really branding of, of companies as, as um, you know, everyone is um, competing in a, in a really different economic and um, consumer climate than we were, um, say, two years ago. And, um, you know, trying to figure out how to manage that with a bunch of shifting legal, legal obligations here and, and overseas. So I think those are the two main messages that, that I would look toward. You know, I think that those, I think those are right. If I could just add one point, the, the one other thing I would be, I would at least try to advocate is the way that data is an asset and the valuation of that asset is changing under these privacy um, models that are evolving. So thinking about like your advertising model, thinking about the agreements that you make with partners and if you are the last to the dance, then they are going to project their models onto you and you will have less choice as a business. And then the more proactive you can be, I think you just have a lot more 
options on the table in terms of how do you address this in a way that really best fits the company and gives you the, the most robust path forward. But that, that just requires investment and investment starts with just knowing what, what, what is happening, what the obligations are. And, and so if you had a board that says, okay, we get it. Uh, we understand that it's important to, to devote some resources to this, uh, but we're, we're at the beginning and you know, we don't have anything too formal at the moment in terms of a privacy program, how would you answer the question of where, where, where do we start? What's the most important thing to do to build, um, to build the program and make some of these strategic decisions surrounding data that we need to make? You know, it, it reminds me of like when you were in college, we had those term papers, you know, those huge papers that you had to submit. And it was like, where do I even begin with that? And you just have to start somewhere. And it's not really being frozen of thinking what the final ending place is, but where is my initial outline? My initial outline might start with what kind of data do we have? <laughs> what's, what's covered? Um, how do we use this data in ways that really are important to our customers, right? Our customer base, the types of services or products that we're selling. And then what are the relationships in, way, in the ways that we share this data? What kinds of data? Because that's like, if you just take the 50,000 foot version of that and, and then overlay on that, well, here's how these laws are going to change some of that from a really big picture standpoint, I think you can then drill down into the details, right? About like, save the disclosures for the end, but just talking really about what are the rules of the road based on the data that you have and how you're using it and, and build from there. I think you can just having, starting from that place can get you on, on your way. I think, I think that's good advice. And, and certainly as, as, you work through the details of compliance on specific issues. Um, there's there's plenty of opportunity to get lost in the weeds. So I think having that initial uh, map or outline of um, here's where we are, here's how we're using data, a sense of where we want to be um, at some point in the future, both in terms of of a program and compliance posture as well as a data strategy and and how we're really using data to provide products and services. I think it's really valuable to have that big picture and to to reinforce it as um, as things proceed. What do you say to clients when they say how how do we support this from a manpower perspective? Right, like we just even the role of. A, companies that have in-house counsel, period. Um, those that have in-house, do they even do they have somebody who specializes in privacy? Um, then you get to maybe they have somebody who specializes in privacy, but they're a company of you know some significant size, some significant lines of business, and they have one person now who is charged with privacy compliance. And then you go to maybe the ultimate, where you have companies that have entire teams of privacy lawyers, privacy compliance specialists. Is there a good fit? I mean, is there a combo? Is it technology and people and you can, you know, leverage one versus the other if you're light on the other? Where do you think there's the sweet spot there? Um, I don't think there's any one answer and it's, it's going to be different for every company. I think if there is one principle to keep in mind, it's uh, be realistic and understand that um, 
these things take time, uh, no matter what size the company is. Uh, there will be more than one person involved. Uh, there will be, you know, IT. There will be legal uh, privacy if that's separate. The business teams, engineering, all of that comes into play. So I think, um, you know, starting from a uh, a core team where you know who's going to be driving the effort forward and whose time will really be um, devoted to building a program or, or advancing it or, or um, that sort of thing, you know, maybe start there and just with, with that personnel power in mind and the outline of what you want to achieve, you know, think about what's going to be realistic to achieve on uh, along the timeline that you have. Um, you know, I think there, there's, there's an impulse to get lost in the, the details of the laws that, that we're seeing already. Um, I think we have to, to be able to look at the, the major risks, address those, and then get to things lower down on the list if, if we can um, take care of those high priority, high priority items first. I don't know. Are you, are you what what sort of range of resources are you seeing being devoted to privacy at this point? I mean, I think your point was exactly on and exactly right on in terms of mapping what you do have today versus where you think your endpoint needs to look like in terms of the plan. Is there a is can that actually work to get to the endpoint? And if not, how do you adjust whether it's you reprioritize what the goals are or you add to the team or you you enlist other stakeholders or you enlist technology because I do see I don't think it's a I don't think it's kind of the silver bullet but there are a lot more innovative options to help manage privacy compliance in different ways um, and it's certainly one of the areas where there's probably the fastest growth of investment um, in, into those tools so that'll just be I continue to watch that side of it to see what's innovating you know talk about innovation what what we're seeing on, on that side of the, the ledger absolutely absolutely and and you know I think as as the financial stakes of, of compliance increase, being able to automate things, um, automate controls and automate um, checks on whether things are working as intended, that there's a huge value uh, on that as well as on, on the side of uh, more the, the data governance and inventory and mapping um, side of things. So yeah, I think that those, those can all come into play. Clearly a lot to talk about. We'll be tracking things in the states and at the federal level. If you'd like more information uh, about privacy, please check out our blog, adlawaccess.com, and also visit the Privacy Resources Center uh, at kellydry.com. Thanks so much for your attention, and we'll talk to you soon.